Hello, dear listener, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of Bumfrey's Occult. I, Jeffrey Bumfrey, am the premier mystic warlock and custodian of the secret knowledge and weapons that it is my sworn duty to use for the good to take care of you, the little folk, the ordinary types, puddling away in your bourgeois little lives, unaware that dark forces are at every turn trying to flay off your skin, (laughs) put things up your bottom, take your eyeballs and put them in jars, and other terrible consequences. You are lucky to have me, and this episode finds me at a pause. It is one of my myriad responsibilities to fill in a monthly newsletter detailing actions of consequence and incidents of occult nonsense that have occurred within my region, focused upon the Crosby area. This is then sent off to the Warlock and Necromancer's Quarterly magazine, which is sent nationally to all the regional warlocks in every area of the United Kingdom and beyond. This obligation needs to be fulfilled in order to keep the funding rolling in and keep Bunfrey in velvet smoking jackets, cigars, sherry, cider, brandy, and erotic literature. With this being said then, I was tooling away at my ancient typewriter, smoking a very mild mixture of opium and tobacco, whilst Bunny sat by the fire, darning one of his masturbatory socks. Mrs. Wobbleston was back from her holiday with her sister at Pontins in Southport, and was in the kitchen, knocking up some fairy cakes with hashish contained within them. It was due to be a rather drug-induced afternoon of dreamy narcotic comfort in our comfortable rooms. The Warlock and Necromancer's Quarterly was the trade publication for both warlocks, whose duty it was to protect the normal people from occult threats, and necromancers who were a more dark, sinister, and solitary bunch, who were lumped in with us due to some sort of funding thing with the civil service, and the fact that our magazines have a low circulation and were amalgamated at some point in the distant past. The old joke goes, what's the difference between a necromancer and a necrophiliac? About four pints. Having detailed my recent trials and tribulations in double quick time via the typewriter and put the contents in a sealed envelope, applying my wax warlockian seal from my mystical occult signatoring, I then moved on to more pleasurable matters. Within the warlock 
and Necromancers Quarterly, or WANK, as it is known. I also moonlighted as an agony aunt. The page of which I was the custodian was called Dear Marjorie and Necromancers and Warlocks from around the country wrote in to me with their problems. The mail was forwarded from an anonymous postbox address, postbox number 666, in case you're interested, and then forwarded to my rooms. I sifted through the not-too-frequent mail and picked out the choicest morsels to answer in the column that appeared in the Warlock and Necromancer's quarterly. This quarter, an absolute cracker had come in from a perverted necromancer who resided not too far away in Brighton, Lausanne's. Warlocks like myself tend to be very well hung, outgoing, and charismatic types who have no trouble with the ladies. In fact, it's both a blessing and a curse. There are so many offers, you don't really know what to do with them. It's like flies around shit. They see the turban, the mystical staff, and they just want a piece of the Bumphrey. What can I say? Necromancers, unfortunately, tend to not do so well on the sexual front and tend to be very pale, thin, and not capable of sustaining a large erection for any amount of time, or indeed an erection at all. The letter, then, was from a Professor Macabre. One can only presume this was a false name to protect him from the embarrassing details. I will read it to you as it came to me. Dear Marjorie, as a lonely old necromancer, I've got myself into quite a difficult situation. I recently dug up and reanimated the corpse of a recently deceased, not an attractive young woman. Having not had an orgasm since 1979, my head was rather turned, and feelings grew as our relationship blossomed. She was, of course, a reanimated corpse, but any holds a goal, I guess. Unfortunately, she has me around her little finger, and it wasn't long before she got me to reanimate the corpse of her mother <laughs> and her grandmother. And now I'm stuck in a situation where I'm being bossed around by three undead women from three generations, and the corpse of the initial attractive, well, attractive in terms of fucking a dead body, <laughs> is not even putting out anymore. I just can't stand it. Please help, Marjorie. Yours sincerely, Professor Macabre, <laughs> number 69, Death Street, Brighton, Lausanne. This was a common problem with necromancers. Once they got a bit of poontang, they were in big trouble. Not like Bunfrey, with his libidinous promiscuity and generous orgasmic powers. 
With this in mind, then, this was not a situation that could be fixed via the written word. Barney. Yes, Bumfrey. Put down the sock. Get us a vorpal blade each. We're off to brighten the sands. We were straight on to the broomsticks, told Mrs. Robleston to save us a few hashish fairy cakes, and arrived at Bright Lassan's Toot Sweet. A swift knock, and a rather pale and shaken figure in the form of Professor Macabre answered the door. Fear not, Professor Macabre. I, Geoffrey Bumphrey, a cult wunderkind maestro, have heard your distress call in explanation. Dear Marjorie is indeed dear Bumphrey. My God! Your dear Marjorie, I am indeed. You must come in. The dead women, they're making me do all kinds of things. Things that no man should ever have to do. They're making me talk about wallpaper and interior design and go to Dunelm and Marks and Spencer's and talk about their feelings and all kinds of bloody feminine nonsense and I'm not even getting laid any more. Professor Macabre was an old man. He was very much on the edge. We decided to sort things out in brutal fashion, quick smart. The vorpal blades are very effective in culling the undead. But I myself waded into the triumvirate of grotesque dead ladies, decapitating them and taking the bodies to the garden, where we burned them in a vat of petroleum and then buried them putting all kinds of occult symbols over their remains so they would not bother Professor Macabre again. There you go, Macabre. Everything's done. Belt and braces. They shouldn't bother you again. Thank God, Manfred. It's a celibate life for me from this point on. I'm just going to have a wank every Tuesday or something, you know? Maybe get a jazz mag. Yes, that'll be better for you, Professor Macabre. You necromancers aren't meant to have relationships with ladies for any amount of time. It all leads to no good. Geoffrey Bumfrey, her suit mustachioed, and in this case, beturbaned and bejeweled wielder of the vorpal blade, had come to the rescue once again. Tune in next time for more exciting, bizarre, improvised, occult, mesmeric nonsenses that'll belt into your ears like Satan's bollocks bouncing on your wife's breasts when you're not looking. Bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-